The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Monday, 18th of May. The Fujicast. Welcome to the Fujicast, the once weekly, now daily photographic show, uh, which I know has the title Fujicast, but we talk about all kinds of photography, all kinds of cameras. And of course, during this period where some people are locked down and some people are a little bit freer, it's a community of photographers and a chance for you to ask questions and, and just say what's going on in your life. Hello, Kev. Hello. I know today is going to be a very precious episode for you because um, you, you're you're very keen on Martin Parr and his work, and we've talked about Martin many many times on this podcast, haven't we? Um, yeah, loads of yeah. times. I think in the reference index, he he pops up loads of times. <laughs> does so, he have, does he have the record yet? And the most the most people mentioned, probably close oh, to. I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> you see, typically on the reference index, I don't I don't give every time we mention somebody, I don't give them a, a reference point if you like, because that we'd have so much on there. It's only yeah, when it's a yeah. you know a prolonged conversation oh, or true, we yeah. talk about a book or something. Well, yeah. we've, we've t- certainly talked about Martin's books in the past. Oh, that, yeah. that, that's for sure. Have you got much of a... Now, you know that uh, I, I know who Martin is. Of course I do. Um, I haven't followed him in quite the same way that, that you have. Um, though I understand his importance to British photography. That, that's clear. But, but you, uh, you're a bit of a book collector. And you, you have um, a good few Martin Parr books, don't you? Oh, yeah, I've got loads. In fact, I've got another couple in, on order right now. Have you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think with, with Martin, it's it's even if people have never heard of him or are unaware of him, I'm guessing they will have seen his pictures, Absolutely. even if they're not photographers, because his pictures are paramount to kind of British history and have been used wide and far in uh, lots of journals, magazines, BBC documentaries, all kinds of stuff. So I think people generally will be aware of him how important has he been in in, in terms of uh of, of street work and and the kind of work that you you absolutely adore yeah i think with martin parr there's a difference between his work and the more i guess what you would call what i would now call the the hipster trendy street photography you know the kind of gritty in your face and youtube styley you know kind of cameras uh, selfie cameras and filming yourself getting up close and personal with people of course he's been doing that for years and years and years but without that that i suppose he was a hipster once but now i would guess he's he's kind of the statesman if you like <laughs> of it all but i think when you look at it or certainly when i look at his pictures anyway i i just look at them in kind of wonder really and think wow look you know it's just people being people just normal people being normal and the the curiosity we have as as photographers i think he can he can go ahead and capture that curiosity in in a in a frame very well and uh, certainly the british element of things amazing i love it i love it now i know you're going to mention the the foundation of course you are within the um, within the interview itself but uh, t- tell me because you're a member of the found martin Powell foundation tell me a little bit more about it what what actually it is and what what you feel you benefit from it i suppose before i tell you what it is it's it's more about why he's done something like this i guess and and i suppose a lot of photographers do this as they you know as they move through their lives there's there's a huge archive of content that you know heaven forbid things you know pop off the mortal coil and all that kind of stuff that you want that to be to be well looked after but the the foundation itself is more than just martin parr's work there's all kinds of stuff there i mean we had ian weldon on didn't we a few months back and right, yeah, and his yeah. work's been exhibited there yeah. there's a, a library of books from all over the place although i think as martin mentions in the interview he's he a lot of his uh, collection has gone to the british library uh he has uh, running exhibitions it's great it's just a place that you can just go and and you know be engrossed with with photography 
and, and the things around it. And, and of course, so as a member of the foundation, you get various different things. You know, you, you're going to get uh, exhibitions, first looks at exhibitions. You're going to get access to talks by Martin, all of those various things. And, you know, we're not here to kind of sell membership to the foundation. But I, th I think it's, you know, it's a very worthwhile cause because mostly because of the archival nature of it. I think it's it's really, really important. Kev, what, what was it like actually? I mean, I know you're a huge admirer of, of Martin Parr. And I know myself having been an interviewer and uh, in music radio uh, originally and speaking to people you know, that I really revere people like Elton John and uh, and characters like that 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 I was always told you know be on their same level and all that sort of stuff but it all goes out the window when you're talking to somebody that you really admire doesn't it yeah yeah it does yeah although I, I suspect kind of the difference between people like Elton John and you know Martin Parr in terms of their personality I think will probably be quite substantial uh, yes yeah. uh, I don't know of course I never met Elton John but, but I, I don't uh, know, you know I, I don't know whether Martin plays but I'm not quite sure what he's like on the piano either I think Elton can't take <laughs> a picture of a toffee <laughs> So, I, uh, so I've met Martin a few times, yeah. uh, you know, but I've just been a general punter in the audience watching him do presentations and talks and stuff. So uh, when, when I first contacted him via the foundation to see if he would if he would come on the podcast, I sent him a picture that uh, was a picture that him and I, him signing a book of mine, although it was, you know, was at a bakery in Bristol. He, and that's kind of the Martin Parr thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah. you know, he, he his local bakery in Bristol, that's the place he's going to launch his next photo book. It was a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, there was maybe 20, 25 people there. We all had a, a scone and a, a glass of champagne <laughs> or something and, and walked away with our assigned books. Uh, brilliant. And, and, and that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of personality I expect he's got. I mean, I obviously don't know him. Um, and I, I guess, you know, when you do an interview with somebody that, and I've always been conscious of this as a photographer, I, I hate, now I don't, I'm not elevating myself in any way, shape or form, but I hate it when people say, you know, send me emails and, and all things and say, you know, I saw you at a workshop and I was a bit too nervous to come and say hello. Yeah. To me, that just does not make any sense whatsoever. You, you know, I think in the world of photography, yes, we all know different people and have different understandings of their success and you know and kind of the echelons that they've reached but really you know walk down the street and you know what you're going to do if, if, yeah. if david bailey walked down uh, down the street and you know 99 of the people wouldn't recognize him and i'm sure that the case is the same for martin parr and but in inside the industry yeah it's huge isn't it yeah, and you know much. you speak to your people i hate the word fans i hate that word but you know people well, your followers you know, who, your followers your fans i mean it's modern parlance, isn't it really yeah I do, yeah you're right but yeah. i just you know it's, yeah. it's like the word zine you know, just <laughs> things like that don't get you uh, anyway but yeah you know you get to speak to these people and, and you you do have to kind of normalize things and he it's great you know he's he's just a regular person and he was really kind to to come on the podcast because you know i know mm. that he he probably gets asked to do lots of different things and i kind of said to him look you know we're doing this daily thing we're we're doing it for the community can you can you help us out and he went yeah of course i can yeah. and, oh, and so he did right i think we should actually hear it then this is kevin talking to martin parr uh, first of all i suppose it seems like the norm thing to say these days is is how are you and, and how are you how are you doing in these these very weird times? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm a bit frustrated, of course, because I love photographing people. And although you know there are people around, it's not quite the same. All the events which I love to go to have gone. But yeah. you know, I'm making the most of it. We're busy at the foundation, you know, catching up with the archiving, uh, reading books that I haven't read before, going through contacts. So I'm being you know I'm being usefully employed. Um, it is slightly frustrating, nonetheless. It's the same for everybody, isn't it? But I suppose, 
I don't know, maybe it sounds a little bit like you, you know, you've you've managed to to kind of pull things out of the hat and get onto the top of your to-do list if you like. Yeah. It's interesting actually because obviously I'm a member of the uh of the foundation and and we get sent these these little clips of you talking about uh some of your famous or favorite photo books I should say. Mm-hmm. And um I was watching one the other day. I think it was Horatio Capella's book, uh Buenos Aires and uh and you were saying that he was something like 100 years old when you met him to sign that book. 103 something crazy wow. 96 i can't remember it was near 100 anyway that particular book obviously is is pretty special and uh you know at the foundation you've got many many books of many many different photographers but i suppose you know a lot of people know you for your um your kind of study of british culture and and the british people if you like um but the books specifically i think are, are really interesting to me and to our listeners because we, we speak a lot about um, photo books and uh you know i i kind of I'm always telling people buy more books, buy more books, buy more books or, and look at them and keep them. And, and, you know, the, the thing for me about uh, photography specifically, and this is something that, you know, I'd like to get your thoughts on is this idea that pictures, um, I suppose pictures that you might take today might, might seem almost mundane, but in the future, whether that's 10, five, 10, 15, 20 years in the time, you know, that they then become nostalgic. Right. And, and I think that's really the power of those photo books. No, absolutely. So there's two things here. First, of course you're right I, I'm a great believer in photography books I've done o- over 100 myself I had a massive collection which has gone to the Tate although as you can see I've still uh, have, um, re-bought some of the other books and, and collected some of these too um, and you're absolutely right there's a great value in documentary photography and often things that appear mundane now become much more interesting in years to come and uh, that's that's one of the great powers of documentary photography I mean even down to things like you know how we they had our house. Uh, when we redecorate, we should always try and photograph the house because it's amazing to look back as to how we used to have our even our own environments in years to come. It's always fascinating. And all our cars, all these things like this that people wouldn't even think about really photographing are very valuable material. Uh, right at the beginning, I guess, you um, you know, you know, started off with the, uh, was it kind of like the Hebden Bridge project i guess when you were when you were up there and i suppose to a certain extent things like the non-conformists were uh you know the black and white style and then and then there's this huge change in aesthetic to the uh the more kind of colorful look now was that uh, i often wonder whether that was down to technological changes or just that you wanted to do something different that to perhaps everybody else was doing or uh, there's a few things i mean first uh, you know we began to see color photography being taken seriously in america with people like Eggerson, Stephen Shaw and such like. And then um, Peter Mitchell had this very impressive show at the Impressions Gallery in York in 1979. And I think by then, when they introduced this new medium format camera, I thought, well, I'll, tr- I'll get one of these and try it and I'll change the color at the same time. So it all fell into place in the early 80s. And it was 82 when I got that camera. And indeed, that was the same year I started the Last Resort project. I think I read somewhere that you, you said you had this love-hate relationship with I'm not sure whether Britain is the right word or Britishness uh, or the the class culture. I guess perhaps is that is that true to say? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's. Uh, I think of photography as a form of therapy, and uh, you know, I love this country. 
but there are things about it that I don't like, and I'm able, if you like, to express that contradiction through photography. It's one of the things I'm looking for, is the ability to have that uh, ambiguity, you know, actually shown as a, as a single picture. And uh, that keeps me going and it keeps me sort of on my toes, if you like. I remember seeing you, um, I think the last time I saw you was at the, the bakery in Bristol. And I remember you said somebody asked you a question and it was something like, what's your favorite picture? And I think you said something along the lines of that's like asking an author what their favorite page in a book was. And, <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. And, and that really struck a chord with me because I thought, yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, a project, if you like, a series of pictures is a series of pictures. Um, and I don't know. Is that still your 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 thinking no, on that? I mean, it's difficult to single out individual pictures. But if I had to put one project together, it'd still be the last resort which is a bit weird given the fact that it was taken over 35 years ago. But nonetheless, it sort of uh, launched my career as a photographer, I guess, certainly beyond the UK. And um, we're on the eighth or ninth edition now, and it keeps selling a couple of thousand copies every year. So I have nothing to complain about. I was looking at the website earlier, at some of the photo books. And, and of course, you've got lots of photo books on there from other photographers as well. But your, uh, you know, the first editions and the second editions and third editions. Uh, and you can see the price difference of the of the older the older editions, which I think is really interesting. Um, and that that led me to um, to look up what uh, I suppose it's quite a rare book of yours called uh, Cherry Blossom Time in Tokyo. It is quite a rare. You're absolutely right. Um, it was an album, in fact, if I remember correctly. Uh, so, yeah, it has real photos in. So it's as much like an artist's book as a book itself. Now, I, I remember, because obviously you're in Bristol, which is not too far away from Cheltenham and uh, some... Uh, when was the last time you were at the Cheltenham races? I think the ones on the Magnum Foundation were 2016? Something like that. Yeah, I, I thought about going this year, but in fact, I, did, I was put off, so I did think it would be dangerous, and it turned out to be the case. Uh, so, yeah, it's one of those things. It's not far from me to go from Bristol, so I'll be back there so, sooner or later. Yeah, I love it there also. I, I, we go... Um, I go with a bunch of friends, and I take my little camera, and uh, I'm just interested in the people... Um, and I also didn't go there, this year. Were you there just now? No, I didn't go. We did have tickets, but I chose not to go for, for obvious reasons. But it's, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Because you see all these people who, who almost behave in completely different uh, ways to how they would normally behave. You know, the day before and the day after, they're, they're in a different world. No, absolutely. I mean, these great events are all part of the sort of British calendar or English calendar, you know, that I like so much. And um, that's probably the only one that slipped through the net this year. Right back at the beginning, so you know you talked about the Hebden Bridge stuff. But how did you first get into photography? Was it, you know, did your father give you a camera? That's that that whole story, or is it? I know. I mean, we're going to go right the way back to when I was a teenager, and I used to say with my grandfather, who was a very keen amateur photographer, and uh, he gave me a camera. Uh, we lent me a camera. Went out shooting, processed film, made prints. So by about the age of twelve or thirteen, I decided I wanted to be a photographer. I, I was in Hebden Bridge you know, 13, 14 years after that. So uh, my photography history goes much further back than um, the Hebden Bridge work. I'm a very relative newcomer to photography in real terms, 12 or 13 years. But what took you so long, Kevin? <laughs> I did. I was born and grew up in Newport. And of course, the, the famous uh, uh, college there, the, the photojournalism college by David Hearn. And, and I used to drive past that art school every single day and never thought thought about it. In in my school, photography wasn't a thing. It was never on the curriculum. It was never anything we that was ever mentioned. And that's like a huge, great regret of mine that that, that wasn't 
put in front of me when I was younger. You were involved with it for a while, I think, were you in Newport? I was. You know, I've known David Hearn for many years, and he, he used to, um, when I came back from um, living in Ireland in 1982, just when I was doing the colour work, he used to invite me there to go and uh, do some part-time lecturing. So uh, I got to know him very well, of course, very well. And uh, it was the most enjoyable experience. You know, when you're a member of Magnum, do, do the commissions come via Magnum? Do you, is everything you do... Does that have to go through Magnum or do you have private commissions? So any editorial commission has to come through Magnum, even if someone comes to you direct. You know, we might arrange the terms, we might arrange how to do it. And then Magnum does the billing and take their percentage. Uh, all stock sales have to come through Magnum. But with the rest of the things, uh, it's really down to you. If you get the job, like a cultural job at the moment, you, you can keep all that income. But if you, you often get jobs like that also through Magnum. So really, uh, and then there are group projects. So it's not exclusive on everything, but on the two key things of stock and editorial, we are. There's a rich history and the archive is there. And, and you know, you have the, uh, the, the photographers that are no longer with us. And then you have photographers, uh, you know, like yourself and Alex Soth and Bruce Gildin. And, and, you know, you have people like Bruce Gildin who have very, very different style and people have a very different subjectivity about different images and different styles of photography. And, and I, I suppose that's the, the the democratic part of Magnum is the fact that there is so much difference there. No, I think uh, the variety of photographers you get in Magnum these days is, is one of our great strengths. You know, we go from photojournalists right the way through to art photographers. And as long as someone's got a vision, you know, a personal vision which they can express through photography, that's what we, we would be interested in, in, you know, giving someone... Uh, making someone a nominee, which is the first level of membership. It takes six years minimum, so it's a long and laborious process. We have, you know, 350 to 500 people apply every year, and if two or three get in, that's a big year for us. You know, we only want the very best. Yeah, no, I'm quite right. It's, it makes sense, and, you know, it's it, it's high held in high esteems for sure. I, I was speaking to I was doing a presentation in Dubai, actually, and, and I can't, forgive me now, I can't remember the lady's name, but she was one of the curators for the Magnum um, online archive, and uh, we got talking about things like Instagram and digital images and, uh, you know, how, how that will pan out for the industry, not, not specifically Magnum, um, but the fact that people can go to Instagram or a website and look at and consume the images long term. Is that a, a good thing or a bad thing? I, I'm all for Instagram. I mean, I was a bit slow to um, use it myself, but if, if we want to get a message out about anything, uh, Instagram is the most effective way of doing that. Uh, I have a Martin Parr Studio Instagram account, which has got over half a million people on. And then we also have a very growing and active uh, Martin Parr Foundation Instagram stream. So I think it's a good thing. I mean, and ultimately, it's a very democratic process, Instagram, because anyone can start an account. If you're any good, you will start to pick up followers. But yes, of course, there's a downside to the internet, whereby um, there's too many mediocre pictures out there. But hey, listen, that's the price. You only know a good picture by seeing bad pictures. That's a very good, good quote, actually. Yeah, very good quote. Um, now, on that, on that, you mentioned your uh, Instagram feed for the the foundation, and I was looking at that the other day as well. And you're you're during this lockdown, you're doing the the photo challenges, is it? The Martin Parr photo yeah, challenges. Yeah, we had a very good one this last week with about haircuts, uh, which <laughs> was done a judging for. I think the results will be out either today or tomorrow, uh, and then we'll be announcing the next one. A lot of people. Uh, right now, specifically with the you know the the uncertainty that we have, uh, I think you know they've got one eye on on you know will 
you know, will will people be able to go back to work? Will they be able to commission work? Uh, and I think that before this even happened, people were concerned, I suppose, about the value that's put on photography. Now, I I don't really mean that in a emotional or a contextual terms in terms of how you're you're shooting it, but you know, how are people these days? People make less money and find it much more difficult to make money from good photography. No, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, it's going to be a tough market when we all get back to some kind of normality. Uh, it's a very competitive market, photography, as you well know, and um, some photographers are going to go out of business. You know, there's just not enough work around. You know, obviously, uh, things like commercial, editorial, there'll be less money in the budgets. Uh, so it's going to be pretty difficult. So, um, you know, good luck, really. It's not going to be an easy place to survive after this um, pandemic is over and we get back to sort of what we call the new normal. Uh, what is next for you once once we are allowed to go out and play again? What's uh, is there, I thought I think I saw something um, about a book about Ireland. Is that on the on the cards? Yes, we're just finishing that book off. That's looking pretty good. That'll be coming out uh, later in this autumn. And then um, there'll be an exhibition next February, which starts in Limerick and then travels around Ireland, comes to the foundation before it goes over to Boston. Now, when it comes to the books, how do you, what, what, what's the process of, the, of, the, of producing the books? Presumably, you know, you've obviously got, uh, got, got full input on it, but, you know, does the, uh, the printing and the binding and, and is that, uh, you know, something you take full control of or is it in-house at the foundation? No, I mean, uh, this book is being done by Damiani. They're very good people to work with. They, they always print very well. So it's never a problem with them. Uh, you know, we've gone through with a tooth comb the sequence of the pictures, the captions, the text. So everything's been done as a PDF uh, over many, many um, sort of uh, mutations, if you like. And now we're finally, I think we're all set to be printing and it'll be printing over the summer. And I think like with digital photography, when it comes to doing something like a book and you're looking through your contact sheets and you're uh, curating that, that must be much more difficult now than it used to be, perhaps? No, because uh, pictures get edited, and if they go onto the Magnum site, then they've already been through two processes of editing, so they must have something there, and everything's keyworded. So when I'm putting my book on Ireland together, and I was shooting there last year as well, you know, I just put in the dates, the keywords, I remember some of the pictures, and they all come up. And it's no problem for me to work out which ones are good which ones are sort of um, mediocre. So that's basically it. You put in the good ones, you leave out the ones, um, uh, you know, if in doubt, kick it out, is what I say. Uh, I wouldn't let someone else do the editing. I mean, I will work with an editor on a book uh, once that um, book has been established, you know, and we would check the sequence. They would look at some of the options that I've, dis uh, you know, discounted, et cetera. And they would also be entitled to look at the work and um, put in ones that they particularly like. When we think about the, the digital world and iPhones and everything else and, you know, the, the um, literally the amount of images that are being taken. And I actually think that that's not necessarily a bad thing because whilst there's a lot of pictures that get taken that are not particularly great and may never be kept, I think it is bringing a lot more people towards creativity and photography, if you like. This is where Instagram is very good because, you know, I'm not saying the number of likes a picture gets is a sort of um, guaranteed symbol of how good the picture is, but it often has a big uh, say in, you know, people generally pick out the better ones to like. So it's a very good way of determining what pictures you've taken are actually working with your audience. Yeah. And of course, have a lot of bad pictures, you know, and as I mentioned before, we need all the bad pictures to know the good ones. In terms of commissions, what what if you look back over your your career, which commission do you think was the most enjoyable, perhaps? 
Oh, that's a tricky one. I mean, I guess I've done quite a few what we call cultural commissions, where you're invited by a gallery to do pictures in a particular place, uh, time, sequence, whatever. So over the years, you know, I, I've done things like Oxford University. That was fantastic. I did a whole thing on that, the City of London, uh, via the Guildhall in, in London. Uh, they've been very productive because it gives me a chance, fundamentally, to work on my own work when someone else pays you. Uh, the Black Country I've done with multi-story. So if, if I'd have had to pick one of those out, that was a commission over a four-year period, and that produced some really strong pictures. Because, you know, uh, basically, if you spend more time doing it, you're going to get better pictures, and that was the case there. So if I had to pick one, I would choose the Black Country work I did for multi-story. There's a book called Black Country Stories, which is a um, pretty good book, even though I say so myself, and I feel terrible even saying that. I tell you, Martin, I have that book, and and you know, so I'll I'll be happy to say to people, it's a very good book. <laughs> um, so, do you ever find yourself sometimes thinking, ah, oh, you know what? Today I've got to go and do this this commission. I don't really feel like it. Does that ever happen to you? Do you think? Oh, really? I enjoy commissions. You know, uh, I like this idea of um, solving problems with photography. You know, I find that an exciting process. And of course, if it's a commercial commission. Of being paid very well, so that means that you can, um, you know, reinvest that money in your own work, put it into the foundation. Uh, so there's lots of things to be done. So I'm very happily going to go along, even if if it's something that is the most brilliant, isn't the most brilliant project. I'm still going to enjoy it because I like this idea of solving problems. Yeah. No. No. I think that the foundation is, uh, it's still open online, isn't it? Right now. And, and yes. Yeah. Uh, so you know books and membership and everything and and uh, I, I'm a member of the foundation so I'm really looking forward to, to kind of getting back to Bristol and, and looking at the exhibitions and the books and everything else that's there and I think that in terms of the the actual foundation itself when it's it's just open to the public seven uh, six days a week when it's open is it is no it four days a week we just cool. we just change it from um, Thursday to Sunday which is the same as the RPS who are next door to us Okay, and it's at Paintworks, right? It is in Paintworks, near, near to the centre of Bristol, yeah. Finally, I suppose, Martin, thanks so much for your time. I, I, I would like to ask you, in terms of the people listening, what, you know, is there, is there any kind of advice you can give them? Let's just say they are a 17-year-old Martin Parr, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what's, uh, what, what, what lessons have you learned, perhaps, and maybe what, what, you know, what, what could you do to encourage them, given the world we live in now, to, to get up and, and try and make a living with their cameras? Well, the first thing you've got to do is identify a subject that has some meaning to you, uh, and then you have to explore that relationship, that actual connection that you have to the subject matter. And if you, if you do that well, then you're going to get good pictures. It's as simple as that, really. So it's finding the right subject, something you care about, and then getting into it and finding the momentum to carry yourself along and then the good pictures will reveal themselves. I mean, um, if you want to be a rich photographer, don't try and do things just for the money. You'll never succeed. Martin Parr talking to Kevin Mullins on the Fujicast. Um, that was great, Kev. Really enjoyed that. I wonder, I wonder sometimes what Martin's sitters think of Martin Parr. <laughs> the only reason I think this is because he gets very up close and personal, doesn't he? He works with short focal length lenses from what I can see a lot of the time. Um, I wonder, I wonder whether, um, what they're thinking when he's taking these, when he's making these pictures of them. Well, I think if you, if you look at the documentaries on, on kind of on the Magnum website, and there's also the ones on the BBC, the, the kind of older ones, 
where you get you get a really good understanding of how he works and so for the you know for some of the ones he, he will go up to people and say can i take your picture and and you know it's still a kind of yeah. really beautiful kind of shot but for the vast majority of it it's it's candid isn't yeah, it and, i know i know and i love that you know i'm looking at some pictures now on the magnum foundation of <laughs> the cheltenham festival and, and it just makes me laugh you know it, there's this yeah. there's this you know large-ish lady in bright pink dress absolutely bright pink dress with this huge white hat plowing into this dusty old cake in a pink <laughs> box uh, and it's you know you you see you see that kind of thing at, at uh Cheltenham festival or various other places in you know these events that you have and he said about that and you don't bat an eyelid and no. and then when you look at the pictures you think oh yeah that's right that's that's exactly how it is it's it's amazing you know i love it can love I, all that stuff can i ask yeah. you uh, the, the sort of question that usually i wince when i hear but um do you have a favourite book of his? Is there is there is what what's the Martin Park? We asked this question a couple of weeks ago. What's the item you you'd have to go back in and rescue in a fire? What's the Martin Parr book you would make sure you came out with? Uh, I mean, I've got loads. I suppose I would probably go to The Last Resort, just because yeah. that's quite iconic. Yes, it is, isn't it? And yeah. I suppose it's, it's possibly his most famous work, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's very... The thing about that book is you flick through it and it's just rocked full of nostalgic pictures. Mm. Mm. You look at them and you think, my God, yeah, I remember, remember the donkeys, I remember the ice creams, <laughs> I remember the deck chairs and yeah. grannies with plasters around their ankles and nobody knows the reason why they're there all that kind of stuff i remember crowded beaches kev oh beaches standing in a queue with people to get an ice cream oh god i mean that's nostalgia in itself well it's an excellent interview thanks kev and i'm I'm really pleased that uh you two hooked up as well particularly knowing um how how you know how how precious his books are and his work is to you as a photographer and, and many of other people as well um don't forget to keep getting your questions in please click at fujicast.co.uk recording on thursday of ask andreas part two so any any fuji stuff you want to get in as well for that particular uh, episode and uh, speak to you tomorrow kev bye-bye the fujicast is an independent loading zone production goodbye sweetheart well it's time to go we're back tomorrow with another show Unless we're fired, we'll talk to you then. Goodbye, sweetheart. Goodbye. Goodbye.